morning. It's big time playoff day today. So that's why you came to early service. No. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that uh, I feel like the Lord's really definitely wanting to give us what we need for the journey. Um, don't know what 2020 holds, but I think there's going to be some battling going on. I think there's going to be some challenges, but I think there's a lot of ground that the Lord's going to ask us to take for him um, in 2020. So it's real important that we, that we get filled with what he wants to fill us because you're going to battle either way, right? <laughs> you might as well have what the Lord wants you to go into battle with. Otherwise, you've got to battle without it, but he'll be with you. So anyways, that's what we're doing. We're just trying to get filled up. Um, the spirit is important. This morning, we're going to be continuing to talk through our spiritual uh, formation, forming habits that form us. Um, we're going to be talking about illumination um, and what that ultimately means and how, it, how we can be guided by God, which is such a radical, strange thing. Um, but first, we have big news for you. It was about four years ago. We made a transition, and as we assessed um, what Living Streams was and where it was at, we had a good church family. Never, never not had a good church family. I've been here for almost 20 years now. Yeah, see all that gray coming in? Watch out. Um, it's been almost 20 years, and this, is, this, has been, this is a good church family. Um, we also had a good staff, and we had a good house, this house that we're in right now. Um, and yet we had about 570 adults coming on a seven, Sunday morning, and we just felt like there was more room for others. Um, it was like as we looked at the house, it was like we got two bedrooms full, but there's like four other bedrooms no, just sitting there empty. And, and so we really prayed. We said, Lord, we know that there's a lot of people out there that don't know you and don't have a good church family. And, uh, and we really want to see um, this thing grow, this thing be maximized using that way. So... Um, we set a little, like, kind of vision statement for ourselves. Uh, we wanted to go from about 570 adults to 1,000 to on a Sunday morning by 2020. And back then, we were like, that sounds crazy. That's almost doubling. That sounds crazy. Last week, we had over 1,000 adults <laughs> on a Sunday morning. And uh, it's, it was awesome. And it was, I mean, I, we didn't even really, I didn't really even care if we got to a thousand. I just thought this is a good goal to shoot for. But, uh, but that was really neat. And, uh, and, and just so you know, I've said it a million times before, that number really is not important. That's just a means to an end. The end is that the people who are joining us would actually knit their lives together with us. Because we know Sunday morning is good. But, but there's so much more that can take place. There's so much deeper, richer fellowship that can take place in, in, in groups where you can, you can be known and you can know people. And so I'm just asking. All, there, obviously, there's more of you coming than there used to be. And those of you that are newer to the church and are not plugged in in some other way, honestly, it, even if it's at another church, I don't care. Just get into smaller communities because it's so good. But we have some great opportunities here. We have life groups. We're about to launch some new ones. We have mission trips that are coming up. We have an internship coming up. Next Sunday, for all the newer people that want to figure out what Living Stream is about, we have a starting point lunch after third service, which will then let you know about an explore group, which is kind of like an eight-week or nine-week um, track that we want people to go through as they're trying to get plugged into the church. All kinds of opportunities coming up. So please, 
if, you, if you're enjoying what the Lord's doing here, enough to come on Sunday mornings, I would encourage you to kind of take that next step and really get to know people in a deeper way um, outside of that. With me? And we have Wednesday night prayer night coming up this one. For the next two Wednesdays, we have Wednesday night fasting and prayer night. Um, you can see the information in the bulletin about that. Uh, last Wednesday was awesome. You know, the Lord always shows up. He spoke to me about a lot of things. Some of it's even going to come out today. All right. Christian spiritual formation. Let's go through our slides to review just in case there's new people, but also it's good for us to remember. Christian spiritual formation is defined real simply as the process of moving from less Christ-like to more Christ-like. That is the goal of Christianity. God loves you the way you are. He, he died for you the way you were. He comes and he wants to fill you with the Spirit the way you are so that you will not stay the way you are. <laughs> He wants to grow you, mature you, and make you more into the image of Christ. That's the spiritual formation that we're all part. Less Christ-like, we described as the broken heart, the fallen, deceitful, restless, unwanted, longing heart. That needs to be refined and, and needs to be, um, to be healed and all of that. We talked about that a few weeks in the sermon. You can check that out. The beautiful heart, we did a whole sermon series on it last November, which is talking about the heart of Christ, the beautiful heart, and what it looks like. You can check that out later. We also then have been talking about in this series today the stages of the journey. We're not the first ones to follow Christ. Did you know that? This is not the first generation. We're not the only church that loves Jesus. It's not an American thing. Oh! <gasps> What? Yeah, this has been going on for a long time, and as we've, we, we've gleaned from church fathers, church mothers that have come before us, obviously we have the scriptures, but then people have been trying to apply the scriptures in all different aspects of, of culture, of society for a lot of years. They've come up with some things that are helpful for us, and basically they say there's about, there's about five stages of the journey. Now, these are our words, I mean, they're stolen words, but we've put them together in this way. So you'll find different versions of this. But basically that all people at first are walking in darkness. They don't have the light of Christ. And they're walking in darkness. John chapter 1 teaches about that. And then at some point, God interrupts the darkness with his light, and that's a moment of awakening. And so we go through seasons of darkness in, in our, in, before we know Christ, but then even after we, we walk with Christ, we still kind of go through seasons where we feel like we're in the dark again. And then a new form, a new, a new aspect of the light of Christ begins to, to move on us. But it happens for those who are new to Christ the first time around, and then it also happens as we keep going around in this formation cycle. But darkness, awakening, and that moves us into seasons of purgation. Purgation is a horrible, fun word. And basically, it's just as horrible and not fun at all when you're living through it. But it's that process where God is now trying to refine your heart, refine your soul, to, to burn out the love of the world, to burn out the fleshly desires so that he can establish a heart for the things that are beautiful, the things that are right, the things that are good. And we go through these seasons that are hard, but it's all God trying to, to, to form us into his image. And then after that, there's seasons in our walk with the Lord that are illumination, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, you can pop up the illumination slide, I think, right? Yeah, illumination. So here's a scripture. We kind of did a scripture with each one of these, these um, stages, but this is the one we're going to be talking about today. Illumination um, is a verse Jesus was teaching his disciples. This is right before he went to the cross in John chapter 16. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. 
He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. The disciples were people that walked in darkness. They fished in darkness. They tax collected in darkness. They did all those type of things. And then at one point, Jesus, the light of the world, literally the exact replication of God himself in flesh, walked up to their table or their boat and said, hey, come follow me. He interrupted their dark, and they, for whatever reason, were compelled to follow him. And as they followed him, they walked with him for three years. They had the actual light of God there next to them. And then Jesus always was saying certain things about how he was going to have to leave, that he was going to die and he was going to go away. And where he was going, they could not come. And they kind of never really understood it. But this is where he's unpacking all of this. But he says, don't worry. When I go, there is one that will come. And he calls him the spirit of truth. And he will guide you into all the truth. And he won't speak of his own. He's going to speak what he hears me, the Father, telling him. And he'll tell you about things that have not yet come or things that are coming to pass. And Jesus will begin to introduce, and you can read about it in John 14, 15, 15, 16, uh, a little bit in 17, all there where Jesus is kind of teaching about this, this new relationship with God that his followers were going to have. It wasn't a flesh-to-flesh relationship like they had with Jesus. But it was going to become a spirit-to-spirit relationship. That they who were flesh, for sure, also had a spirit. And that spirit inside of them was longing and restless until it could connect with God, who is spirit. And Jesus was actually saying that this Holy Spirit would come. And then sure enough, Jesus ascended into heaven. The disciples are all sitting there, not just the 12, but, or, or, or the 11, sorry, but also the community of, of people that had followed Jesus, his mother, the other Mary. And all of a sudden, as they're waiting on God, it said that the room began to shake and there was this sound of this rushing wind. And in came Gotta be one of the strangest things of all time. Gonna watch the DVD in heaven or whatever, YouTube it. Um, But it says that there were things like cloven tongues of fire that came and rested on their heads. Illumination. Illumination. And they begin to speak in tongues that they didn't understand. But they were tongues that other people could understand, other languages. And as there was this moment of kind of confusion, excitement, whatever it was, some people started asking questions about it. And yet the disciples who had not experienced this prior, but had the kind of instructions of Christ enough and the scriptures enough to say, I I think this is what was talked about in the Old Testament in the book of Joel, where God is pouring out his spirit upon us. And so there it was. This new relationship, this new phase of Christianity, this new covenant promise where the Spirit now came and illuminated things and then began to guide the disciples. And they are actually living in very precarious times. One false move and they could be killed. 
And yet the Spirit was guiding them and, and began to guide them in, in the way that they would walk and the way that they would lead the church. And then the Spirit kind of, they were shocked because all of a sudden they would go to a different place where they weren't, they weren't um, kind of people who knew Jesus, but then they would pray for them and the Spirit would come upon them. And then what was crazy is they even went to people who weren't Jews and the Spirit came upon them too. They were going, what is going on around here? And so from then on, people who have been following Christ are trying to figure out what it means to receive the Spirit of God, to be baptized or filled with the Spirit of God, and to be guided by the Spirit of God. Illumination. And just because, again, I love stories so much, I want to go back to the life of Moses as we begin to unpack this. Because we've talked about Moses and how he is a good example of this, these stages. Moses went through, was in darkness for sure. He didn't even know who he was, where he was, came from. He was raised in Egypt, but he was a Hebrew. And then this kind of awakening began in him when the way it was expressed was he killed an Egyptian that was beating a Hebrew when he realized, began to realize who he was. And he was going through this awakening, but that awakening actually wasn't just one moment. It was lots of moments that ultimately led to a burning bush, right? And this burning bush moment wasn't the first time he kind of had this uncertainty or this tremor going on inside his soul, but this was the first time that he actually encountered the presence of God. And God was speaking to him about what was already inside of him and connecting the dots and making it make sense that, he, that God had put all that in there to lead him to this moment. And so this illumination happens. And then the very first thing God does now that Moses is saying, okay, I believe you're God. What do you want me to do? God says, I want you to go back to Egypt where it's going to be hard for you. It's like he leads them right back into the most difficult, challenging thing possible. So you guys tracking with me? That's what we talked about last week. And now we're going to talk about this, this stage of illumination. Now I want you to pick up in Exodus chapter 4, 18 through 31. Exodus chapter 4, it says this. Moses, after the burning bush, um, this is right after the burning bush, he says, Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if there are any of them still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who want to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. So Moses is getting all these instructions. Now, we who know the story, we know kind of the way it all plays out, but this is what the Lord is telling Moses, and it's all vague for Moses at this point. But there's a connection between, you know, the, the firstborn son. So then, watch this. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. What? But Zipporah took a flint knife cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So the Lord let him alone. At that time she said, Bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. 
The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron, Aaron was his brother, everything the Lord had sent him to say and about all the signs and wonders he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought all the elders of the Israelites together and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. So, can't just like zoom past all of this stuff. Some of you are like, I didn't hear a word you said after that. We put apart. So anyways, the, the Lord is speaking to Moses. So he's left the burning bush. So now somehow the Lord is continuing to speak to Moses without burning bush. And, and that's, I want you to catch the significance of that. As Moses is moving into this new mobile relationship with this burning bush God. But... In the process of doing that, God is telling Moses kind of a little bit more details, and he's talking about how he's going to go, and he's supposed to say these things to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh's going to refuse to let the people go, and then God's going to basically, you know, convince Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's going to, and then Moses is supposed to say, and if you don't, God's going to kill your firstborn son. And again, I, we, don't, we don't have time to get into all the details of this. But then what, the very next thing that happens, Moses gathers up his family. He's got his son Gershom. We talked about that last week. And, and, he, and, he's, and he's got first, his firstborn son. And they're, they're getting ready to go to Egypt. And then, and then out of nowhere, it says that the Lord was standing and was going to kill Moses. But Zipporah, not Moses, somehow figured out the Lord is going to kill Moses if I don't circumcise our son. Right? How? how? I have no idea. I have no idea. But, but maybe there, there had been talk. I mean, you can imagine Moses was, was probably circumcised. And Zipporah knew about it. <laughs> And, and there was probably a debate in their household. Like Moses was probably saying, you know, I, I wonder if I should. I, I, don't, I don't know. Basically, there was a covenant established with Moses' people. God's saying, hey, this is the covenant I'm establishing with you. And now Moses, Moses the covenant was established, but Moses' son had not entered into that covenant. And yet God was serious about it. And, and in some ways, there's a connection to the firstborn son of Pharaoh, the firstborn son. It's almost as if God, God is saying to Moses, if you're going to go and we're going to do this thing, we've got to get your house in order correctly first. But the thing that is so amazing to me is that Zipporah figured it out. God helped Zipporah figure it out. God spoke to Zipporah. How? Again, I don't know exactly. But it's just an amazing, amazing thing. And she doesn't quite understand all of this, but she calls him a bloody husband because she's a, she doesn't understand who this God is, why he would require this. She doesn't understand it. Moses might not fully understand all of this stuff. And yet, Moses was saved from God because God communicated to his wife about this thing. So God can speak to us. God can communicate to us. So let's continue on. They go into this time, and you guys know the story. They go into Egypt. Moses, you know, talks to Pharaoh. They go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Ten plagues, boom, boom, boom. Basically, God showing his power all over all of the gods of Egypt. After the end of it, you know, the last, thing, last plague was death of the firstborn sons of, of Egypt. And yet all the Israelites were saved not only from that, but all the other plagues, which is fascinating. 
And finally, Pharaoh says, okay, fine, go. And so Moses leads all the people out triumphantly. And they go out there, but then all of a sudden, you know, Pharaoh's army's like coming after him because he's having second thoughts and Red Sea parts, all of that. Red Sea falls on the Egyptians and basically delivers the, the people forever. And now they're in the wilderness and they're heading this way. And God had kind of guided Moses through all that. Moses didn't have to go find that burning, that same burning bush anytime he wanted to hear from God. Somehow God has continued to communicate with Moses on the fly as he's moving in and out, even in Egypt, now in the wilderness. And so Moses is beginning to understand this relationship with God. And then in, in Exodus 33, I want to pick up, this is now when they're in the wilderness. This is what it, how it describes the relationship of Moses and God. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. He doesn't need a burning bush anymore. He just needs a tent. Anyone inquiring of the Lord, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses, kind of representing God's presence that, that was with the people. There was a cloud by day and a fire by night, and it would come and, and rest on the tent. Probably not the fire part, more the cloud part. I don't know, just joke. That was a joke there. For, you don't want to burn the tent, right? Whenever the people saw the pillar of God, a pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to his camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So here's this description of, of kind of whoever's writing this. Could be Moses, could be somebody else's writing this, this thing, and they're describing what it was like when Moses would meet with God. And I want to read a few other descriptions of this same thing. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 8, it says that when God would speak with Moses, he would speak with him mouth to mouth, even openly, and not in dark sayings, as he beholds the form of the Lord. We're talking about something very significant, something very strange, especially in that day and age. The gods of Egypt were not gods that that were kind and nice. They were gods who needed to be appeased, otherwise they would bring great judgment. That was basically the religions of all the, the nations around and tribes around there. It was basically you, you did whatever you could to appease the gods so they'd send some rain. And anytime there was no rain, it means the gods were mad at you. And here's this new kind of different thing emerging in this part of the world where God is speaking to this person, Moses, face to face, mouth to mouth. And in Psalm 119, 104, and 105, there's another way that David describes this same kind of illumination stage. He says, I gain understanding from your words, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path talking about how God, God illuminates the directions that he's supposed to go. Isaiah 30, although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And then in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 3, 
It says, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into the image with ever-increasing glory. Basically, he's kind of alluding back to this. Moses had this relationship with God, and yet there was, there was still something lacking because Moses would have to go and kind of meet in the tent, or Moses would have to do these type of things. But he's saying now in this new covenant, ever since Christ has come, there's no veil between us at all. There's no need for a, for a holy of holies. We, we, just, we, are, we are always in the presence of God. We have constant access to the fullness of his spirit, to behold his face, to hear his voice. And for some of you, you're saying, yeah, I've exp- I'm, that's where I'm at, where you actually begin to have confidence that you can hear from the Lord. Like when you go to pray, you actually, you're praying, and you're kind of thinking, I'm going to get something out of this. And there's definitely still, even though I've walked from the Lord for a long time and many people have walked with the Lord long enough, you still go through times where you don't feel like the Lord is so accessible or it's harder to hear from Him because you're going through those other things. But there are those seasons where our, of our lives where we finally arrive at this place where we really do feel known by God. We do feel like He hears our voice and knows our hearts. It's described this way in another place. Illumination refers to a process of continually and increasingly becoming aware of the presence and care of God. That's illumination. It's the idea of perfect love casting out fear. Apart from God, I'm driven by fear. As God comes in, I increasingly become driven by love. Illumination. When the love quotient in my life becomes greater than the fear quotient... Purgation moves to illumination. Should I say that again? That's pretty good. When the love quotient in my life becomes greater than the fear quotient in my life, when you realize that God loves you so much, whether you're getting it right or wrong that day, and you can come boldly into his throne, instead of being so afraid that he's going to condemn you or he's going to judge you in some way. When the love quotient increases and is greater than the fear quotient, purgation moves to illumination. It's the place where my ego, my choices, my sin, and my guilt no longer create distance between me and God. There's no distance anymore. And not only can you say that theologically, but you actually have experienced that. The closeness of God. And it is true that sometimes it comes and goes. But, it, but once you've been there enough, you realize that's not because God is actually far. It's because he's taken me through another season of refining so that ultimately we can be even closer. And I can't, I want to so bad talk about union, but that's next week. It's going to be so good. There's some, this, this, I picked Moses, not for these other ones. These other ones, like, yeah, yeah, but the ne- but union, Moses' life, oh, it's going to be so good next week. Um, but illumination, that's what he's talking about. And just real quick as we close, um, 
I, I've, I've, I was trying to think, okay, how has the Lord spoke to me the most in my life? Like communicated. So Zipporah, she knew somehow this strange thing. Moses, it said, and the Lord said to Moses. I mean, the Torah is basically that. Almost every chapter, it seems like, either has or starts with, and the Lord God said to Moses, and there you have a chapter. And then the Lord God said, Moses just right. this is where God, God's just constantly talking to Moses. We know he goes to the tent of meeting. We know he talked to the burning bush. We know he, was, he stood still and saw the salvation of the Lord. But, and we know he goes up in the mountain um, to talk to God. But it's like God was communicating to Moses, and we have the whole Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And really the whole Bible is just story after story of God interrupting into a person's life, speaking to someone, and then them walking in obedience, or not, Right? That's some of those stories too. But how has God spoken to me? That's just a vague thing to say to some. God wants to speak to you. And, and I, I wrote these things down, and I'm really going to focus in on one of them, but he guides us with the commandments in Scripture, no doubt about it. If you want to hear from God, read the Bible. <laughs> For two reasons. One is this really is God's Word, spoken to you to guide you. But then also, the more you get to know this, the easier it is to pick up when the voice of God is speaking to you outside of this. It's because you learn about his nature. You learn about, oh, that sounds like something God would say. That does not sound like something God would say. That's why this book is so important. Not only can it teach you God's word, but it can make you familiar with God's voice. So he speaks to us. Or he guides us um, with his commandments in Scripture. He, gu- he guides us with the community of saints, no doubt about it. I mean, this whole thing that we're unpacking is not in the Scriptures per se. It's supported by the Scriptures, but it's language and, and stuff that's helping us unpack our walk with God outside of just what the Scriptures have. So church history is helpful. But also the, the community that we have. That's why you've got to get into a small group. We have curriculum. Every one of these messages, we create a little curriculum. That goes out to all the life group leaders. You go to a life group, then you're going to be able to unpack this stuff a little further and deeper. Because some of this, hopefully, you question. You say, ah, he didn't say that quite right. And you, you might be right. <laughs> but you can start to unpack it in a smaller group of people who also want to know the, the Word of God. And it can kind of flower. It can get bolder and broader. And it can get more precise. So the community of saints is so important to how the Lord speaks to us. Other believers have spoken into my life and guided me so much. Sometimes they knew what they were doing. Sometimes they had no idea, which is fun. But then this last one is huge. He guides us with the convictions of his spirit. Convictions. It's a horrible sounding word. On Wednesday night, Ryan actually talked a little about it and said how we should be praying for convictions. Because conviction is actually a beautiful thing. It means that you have a father who loves you and doesn't want you to go off the cliff or end up in the ditch. So he comes with his convictions, but conviction does not feel nice. feels horrible. But basically the way it's been in my life is, is I've sought the Lord at certain moments, and I was thinking back towards the end of 2019, these times in my life where I was at a crossroads and I didn't know what to do. And I was like, okay, Lord, I want to do this. And in and, and particular, I think of when, before I moved down here in 2001. I was up in Oregon. I loved Oregon. I'd really started following the Lord in Oregon. It's Jesus country. They got rivers. They got big fish. Not these little tiny fish. All my friends were there. All my Christian friends literally were there. 
And yet, Mark Buckley, the founding pastor of Living Streams, he had kind of been our family pastor forever. And he knew that I, you know, I'd done some ministry. He said, why don't you come work with our high schoolers at Living Streams? And I was like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. And, and yet, in Oregon, I, was, I just... It was like everything was drying up. You know, like the, the picture of the cloud would every once in a while lift up and go, and that meant the people were supposed to go. And I could just slowly but surely, it felt like the glory was departing. <laughs> and yet I didn't know that. I just thought, oh, I just haven't got the job I want yet, or I just kept trying, and it was just close the call. And Mark kept saying, why don't you come down here? And so he actually he said, well, we'll just fly you out. You could come check it out, which was not a good decision because I flew out, checked it out, and said, now I will never go down there. Literally, that's what I thought. I thought, no. No, no, no. But I just remember my soul had no peace in Oregon. I was, and I was at my mom's house. and I mean, it was like, it, there's just no explanation. The peace was gone. Like I couldn't sleep good at night, and I started to feel depression start to settle in. It was just like, it was like no peace, no peace, no peace. And then one day I remember waking up and I said, maybe I should go to Arizona. And it was so amazing because it was like this flood of joy and peace kind of just hit me all of a sudden. And I thought, nah, still don't want to do it. And I wrestled with it. I kept fighting with it. I, sorry, sorry, I'm not great at this. But it was this wrestling match of conviction. It was like God was guiding me. Even though I, he wasn't speaking to me, it was like inside, I just knew. No peace, stay here. Twinge of peace and excitement, go there. And so ultimately, I went for it. And, I mean, I, I can't tell you the, the depth of layers of the goodness of the Lord that has been revealed to me in this place. And he was the one that guided me. And I've had I have lots of other stories like that. I hate it when the peace goes away. It's miserable, but I'm so grateful that the Lord leads us in that way. Illumination. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would guide us. Lord, we are so desperate for your guidance. We got politicians that don't know what's up or down. We got media shouting and screaming at us what we need, what we don't need who's cool, what's not. We got our own hearts that are so confusing and restless and they want this thing today and they don't tomorrow and they want that thing that's not good for us. And we, Lord, we just, oh, we're so lost. But I thank you so much that you, you know the way and you're a way maker. And Lord, I do pray that you would convict America I pray for a great wave of conviction to wash over us, rich, poor, Democrat, Republican, Christian, non-Christian. Lord, just let a great wave of conviction wash over us. Take away all of our peace in all the places that we're headed in the wrong way.
and give us peace in the right direction. Your word says that we should go out with joy and be led with peace. And I pray that we would be a people like that. That we would trust you. Trust that still small voice. Trust your fatherly guidance. And right now, Lord, if there's some people in this room who are saying, oh man, why did he have to say that? Because they know you've been convicting them about a relationship or a job or something they're doing in their life, whether it's sin or not. Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage to trust you and that as they step towards where you're leading them, your peace would flood them and they would sleep so good, they would have joy fill their hearts. Thank you, Lord. Will you guys stand with me as we close in a song? And once again, just open up your heart to the Lord. Ask Him to come search you. Ask Him to come guide you, even if it's with conviction. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Isaiah 6, Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord. He saw the Lord filling his temple with his glory. And he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. He was convicted. And then the Lord sent an angel to get a coal of fire from the altar and purged his tongue. But then afterward, something happened. And as we respond to this message, this amazing message, the Lord began to speak and he said who shall go for us and who shall we send and then what did Isaiah say he said here am I send me is anybody ready for the Lord to send you 
Yes. When we get a glimpse of his glory, as Moses did, as Isaiah did, it's for a reason. Because the Lord wants to pour his glory over all the earth. Amen. So, so if the Lord's touching you, first thing I want to just say is if he's convicting you, surrender. Surrender to him. Surrender your life to Jesus. And then respond to his call. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this message. And we thank you for filling us with your spirit today. And Lord, we as Isaiah, we say, here am I. Send me. Use us as we go into the world that we would be a light in a dark place. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, our prayer team is going to be up here to pray for you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.